You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Father, we truly want to honor you in everything that we do. And Lord, each Sunday morning we worship you and we make it about you. But Father, it's a reminder that worship is not just something that we do at 10 o'clock together on a Sunday morning, but it's something that we do at 9 o'clock on Monday morning when we go to work, that everything in our life, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're playing or at the beach or whatever we're doing, Lord, we want our lives to reflect the incredible love that you have shown for us through your son Jesus dying on the cross. So Lord, we worship you. Pray, Father, that you would help us to hear from your word and to catch a glimpse of King Jesus. Help us, Father, to to be changed as we see just uh, him and his incredible authority and as he went to the cross. Father, may we reflect and worship you today in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, you may be seated. I am so glad to be with you guys. There it is. I had to turn around and find my stand. So good to be with you guys this morning. I uh, miss being here the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're just uh, so good to be here. I so enjoyed some time off and time away, and grateful for Dan and Steve uh, just to keep things rolling and all of that anyway. But uh, we're at the stage of uh, the Gospel of John where Jesus is being arrested today, and he's standing trial, and he's crucified. And as I read chapters 18 and 19 of John, it so, so stood out to me how over and over and over again the Bible refers to him as King, King Jesus. He's King of the Jews. And I believe God wants us to get a glimpse this morning of Jesus, not just as he died on the cross, as he hung on the cross, but Jesus as he is the King the king of heaven, the king of heaven and earth. You know, when the Bible tells us to pray, it starts off that we are to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is king. He came to establish his kingdom. He came to establish it in the hearts of people, of men, women, and children who surrender their life to him. And when a person receives him, he becomes king of their life. He's savior of their soul. And our our life gets completely reoriented from living for ourselves and doing what we want to do, doing what makes sense, living life out of our own resources and strength. And instead... We have a king. We, we serve and follow something and someone far greater and far bigger than that. And the end of the Bible, and we look at the book of Revelation, it's all about really not so much all the horrible, weird things that happen and however you interpret that, but it's really about the coming of King Jesus that will bring in visible form the consummation of his kingdom. And so even now, we who know Jesus as his followers, we live as kingdom citizens. And I want us to, to talk and catch this morning a glimpse of what that's all about. So read with me if you would. In John chapter 18, in verse 33, Jesus is standing before Pilate. He, is, he has already had his, his last supper with his closest disciples, his closest friends. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed and all of that, and the, the soldiers have come and have arrested him, and he stood before the high priest and before Annas and Caiaphas, and now he is before Pilate. And then he's being interviewed by Pilate here, and the Bible says this in verse 33, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? 
Or did others say it to you about me? In other words, do you really want to know? Are you trying to figure out who I really am? Is there a spiritual nature of this question? Or is this just a political question that the, you know, the Jews brought me to you and you just want to know from a public? Are you asking for yourself or are you asking for, for just a political reason? Pilate in verse 35 said, Am I a Jew? Your nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a, so you are a king? I mean, get the picture. Pilate's used to Roman pomp and circumstance and gallantry and robes and money and dress to impress. And here he is looking at a nomadic homeless guy, you know, poor, and like, so you're a, you're a king? Like, really? What in the world? What, who, who are you? Why are you standing before me? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Spoken like a great politician, confused and trying to figure out what is going on. The confusion was in the, the division of authorities is that the Jewish nation, even though Rome ruled, the Jewish nation had their own legislative, their own judicial process, and they had authority to arrest and put people on trial, to put them in prison, to put them in jail, but they did not have the authority to sentence someone to death. And they were hell-bent, literally, on putting Jesus to death. Only Rome could put somebody to death. So they put him on trial, brought their charges against him. But in order to get their way, they had to bring him before the civil, you know, the, 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 uh, the, polit the Roman political world so that he could be tried according to Pilate, frankly, without any real jury or any real due process, and could be condemned to death. And so Pilate was judge, jury, and almost executioner himself trying to figure out what is going on. You know, there are so many portrayals about who Jesus is. One of my, I have a number of pet peeves. You probably have some pet peeves too in life, right? Your kids probably know what those are. Your spouse probably knows what those are. But one of my pet peeves in the church world is whenever I see stringy hair Jesus pictures. I don't, you know what I'm talking about? Like Jesus pictures where he's thin and gaunt and he's just, you know, he, he just is so, you know, long, long hair. He looks like he came out of the 70s kind of thing. And that is not who Jesus really was. Like, that is a horrible portrayal of, of who he is. And I, we need to see this morning that as Jesus, even as he is, he, as he is being crucified, that he is king of this world. And so I want us to see, first off, that he is king in his keeping. I want us to see that he's a king unlike any other king that's ever walked this earth, and that he's king in his keeping. When Jesus is first arrested... He's there in the garden with his closest friends and those bands of soldiers come. Jesus, or Judas, excuse me, had betrayed him and showed him where their, their meeting place was. And, and they come to arrest Jesus and Jesus speaks to them and they fall to the ground. Kind of a signal of, a, of a, the authority that Jesus had as he answered them. And they kind of 
pick themselves back up. I don't know what they're thinking, but if you go to arrest somebody and they don't even make a move and all of the troops fall down, I'd be a little nervous. Like, what kind of power does this dude have? You know, I'd be thinking about things, but they pick themselves up, they arrest him again, and, and listen to what Jesus said. They, Jesus said, whom do you seek in chapter 18, verse 14? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I, I am he. In verse 6, he goes on and he says, or, or verse 7 actually says, who do you seek? Again, they say Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Jesus is being arrested. His disciples are there. And he says, I'm the guy. Take me. Let all of these go free. Because Jesus himself, of all those that God the Father had given him, he had lost no one. Jesus, even though he is innocent, and even though he is being crucified, even though he's being maligned, even though he is going through what he went through, we see his authority in keeping his followers. It's an amazing thing that the God of heaven never loses anything. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I never lost anything? We all have little tricks to not lose stuff, little things to remember things. We, he never misses an appointment. He's never late. He's always on time. He never misplaces anything. He never loses anything. He never loses a relationship. He, he loses absolutely nothing. That Jesus is king in his keeping. All of his followers that had come to him, that the Father had given him, as we've been looking at that multiple times through the Gospel of John, he kept all of them absolutely safe and secure. As you know, I spent the last couple of weeks hiking through the Adirondacks, and it was wonderful. After 100 and almost 40 miles, my, your body gets a little tired, a little sore, a little cramp. And every night, you know, it, even though we had a nice little personal locator beacon, like I'd hit the little button and the satellite would go up and tell my wife, here they are today, they're safe, you know, everything's good. So she kind of knew where we were. It, I could do that because I knew that my wife was in God's hands. And my wife knew that we and her kids were in God's hands, that we were secure. The next to last day as we start heading out, we had a really long day in front of us, like 17 miles, and it was pouring rain and the lean-to, and I just said, I'm not starting out in this pouring rain. Like, if it's, when it lets up, we're going. We got a long ways to go, and it let up a little bit, so like 6.30 in the morning, we hopped out of the, the, the lean-to to make our way, I mean, five minutes later, it just poured. And it was one of those things, the sun was up, it turned in the woods, it was dark and, you know, kind of just grim, if you will. And all of a sudden, the lightning hit and the thunder right behind it, the kind you feel in the chest. And as a dad, I'm like, okay, we'll see how my kids handle this one. This is a different animal. And you don't go back, you got like 17 miles to go, you know, before you kind of get off the trail. But in the middle of those things, you know, that God loses no one. You know, that's a picture of life. 
we go through all kinds of things in life and we feel that we're at risk and we feel that we're dangling, if you will, at times. And, you know, we're, as we walk through all of those things in life and even our souls, we begin to, you know, to despair. But there is a security knowing that Jesus loses no one, no one who's a follower. Dads, you as a leader in your home should know and we should be remembered that you are insufficient to keep your family as strong as we want to be and as much as we want to provide and protect. No earthly leader can do that. No earthly king ever did that. I think, what was it, 40,000, uh, no, 400,000 troops, excuse me, died during World War II. I mean, 60,000 in the Vietnam War. I think something like 4,500, somewhere in that ballpark in the, in the Iraqi War. I mean, no king can ever say they lost no one. My heart grieved a few weeks ago when the floods hit in Kentucky, reading about the family of four. You may have read about them when the, 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 the couple gathered their four little kids, I mean just little guys, got up onto the roof of the house and the floods came and swept the house underneath them and they were all taken away in the current, managed to get to a tree and mom and dad are each hanging on to a kid and were hanging there for quite a time until a huge big wave and surge came and it stripped the kids out of their hands. And mom and dad hanging there for hours knowing that their kids were gone. I mean, we are just the grief. And I can't fathom what they went through to lose their kids like that. And as much as we try as people, we are insufficient to keep. But we have a Savior. We have a God in heaven who is far more powerful who loses no one and nothing, and we should walk with an incredible trust and a security and a looking to Him in all of our life and our families and our own souls and the souls of our kids and, and, and all of that, that Jesus is king in His keeping. Even when He was humbling Himself and allowing Himself to be crucified, He still was in charge and kept all of His disciples. Second thing I want you to notice, not only was He king in His keeping, unlike any other earthly king, but he's also king in his purpose. As Pilate was interrogating him, Pilate knew the Jews were up to something. He was savvy. He knew that there were some trumped-up charges, funny business going on. And he's like, what, what did you do wrong? Like, nobody comes before me for no reason. You know, this is a big deal. Are you the king of the Jews? Because that would have been news. If there was a political uprising, that would have been news. And Jesus answered. He said, he said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The Bible says in John 1 that Jesus was of grace and truth. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is called repeatedly the Spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus came in this world to testify, to live and to express truth into the world. There's nothing that dispels lying and deceit and deception and decay like truth. You see, ever since the Garden of Eden, when, when the serpent spoke to Eve and said, has God said, oh God, really, he's not a good God. He doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he doesn't want you to be a smart like him. You can't trust that God. Ever since that time, the world in which we live has been filled with deceptions and lies and corruption. 
And Jesus came as a sterilization, as an antiseptic, as a truth to dispel the lies and to, to, bring, to cut through all of that into this world. You know, I'm, I'm amazed. I've never been in law enforcement. I've not been trained in that. The closest I had was in my undergrad major. I had a wildlife uh, law enforcement class and so learned about probable cause and due process and all that kind of stuff in any way. But from what I can tell, most people that are arrested are shocked that they're being arrested. They really think they're innocent. And they really think that they don't deserve what they're getting, it seems like. I can't speak. Others, you in law enforcement, would know better than I do. There's something inside of us as people that we all think that we're good and haven't ever really done anything wrong. And that whatever punishment or whenever we're held accountable, we think like, there's something wrong. I shouldn't be getting this. This isn't right. And Jesus came to speak truth into that world. He came to cut through the deceptions, not just the garbage out there, but the deceptions and lies that we've bought into and that we've even told ourselves and believe ourselves. And Jesus came to show us the God in heaven who's a holy God and a true God to break through in all of that. That means for for you mom and dad, as you raise your kids, there's a God in heaven who wants to cut through the lies that your kids are wrestling with, whether it's in elementary school or the real challenges they hit in middle school or in high school, to to break break through some of that junk that they're confronted with and face, and whether it be amongst their friends or social media. But, But Jesus came to be truth and to be salvation in the middle of that, that He, as he subjected himself in this world, wasn't overtaken by all of the deception and lies. He came in charge as king to cut through it all and to bring truth and hope of the gospel of of his own salvation into this this world. So not only is he, he king in his keeping, he's king in his purpose, cutting through all of the junk in the world around us, but he's, he's also king in his innocence. As Pilate interrogated him, He reports back and he says, I I find nothing wrong with this man. He has done absolutely nothing. I find no guilt in him, he says in chapter 19 and verse 5. You see, the due process would be the Jews would bring up a charge against Pilate. Pilate would decide because it would be on him if he put put a convict to death or not. And he reports back and like, you guys are crazy. He's done nothing worthy of death. What are you talking about? In fact, they themselves, when Jesus was brought before the high priest and was interrogated, he was first brought before the, really before the, the, the father-in-law of the high priest, kind of the power behind the power, think good old boy, corrupt system, religious system. And when he was interviewed by them, they found nothing wrong. In fact, in verse 19 of chapter 18, the, the high priest who questioned Jesus about his disciples just said, I've spoken. Jesus responded to them when they said, what have you taught? What have you been doing? And Jesus said, look, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I've said to them. They know what I've said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why 
do you strike me? It's important for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that Jesus was innocent of all charges. He's the only person on this planet who's ever suffered in such a way and was completely innocent of everything. Not just one specific crime or one specific charge, but in every area of life. That he was innocent. You see, that is so important for us. We, we, shouldn't rec- we shouldn't think of Jesus because he's innocent, that he's a victim. When you think back to Jesus, he died on the cross, don't see him as this victim, if you will, that the world got the best of him. That's inappropriate. You need to see him as king who is innocent, who's done nothing wrong, who is absolutely guilt-free, who voluntarily sacrificed himself as king because he was working under a different kingdom. He was moving toward a spiritual kingdom in this world. And he was innocent. Of all of the individuals that interviewed him, he was even, we know from the other gospels, sent to Herod. Herod found nothing wrong. Pilate repeatedly found nothing wrong. The Jews found nothing wrong. And it's what the Bible says, that he who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. You see, if Jesus was a sinner, he is morally, spiritually bankrupt, and you, my friends, and me, have no hope of forgiveness and salvation. Everything hinges on his innocence. He faced the the most uh, intense scrutiny, and he came out completely clean so that we could be forgiven. So that as he died on that cross, those were our sins being paid for, not his. Those were what we deserved, not his. As we picture and as we see in a minute, as we're going to talk about his crucifixions, his crucifixion, that's what we earned, not him. He was king, a spiritual king who had done no wrong whatsoever. He was king in his innocence. Not only was he king in his innocence, he was king in his authority. Pilate's going back and forth. The Jews responded to him. It's like, he, so, he is too guilty. He made himself to be the Son of God. Well, if you're not the Son of God, that is sin. But when you are the Son of God, that's just the truth. And Pilate got nervous about that. He became afraid. So he went back and talked to him again. Who are you? Where are you from? It struck a chord with him. And Pilate said, you're not going to answer me? Don't you know who I am? I have authority to release you, and I have authority to put you to death. And here's what Jesus says in verse 11. You would have no, in verse 19, chapter 19, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. We as people sometimes make a mistake thinking that we have authority because of who we are or a position we hold or a title that we have. And truth be known that anyone that has any authority whatsoever on this earth gets their authority from God in heaven. I don't care whether it's a parent with their children, if it's a CEO of a company, if it's a board over a company, if it's a political president, if it's somebody elected to Congress, if it's law enforcement... All authority in this world is under God himself. 
And Jesus turned to Pilate and say, authority? Yeah, don't kid yourself, Pilate. You have no authority except God in heaven has given it to you. But there's greater, there's a guilt out here. And Judas, who betrayed me to you, to the Jews and then to you, has the greater guilt. But Pilate, you have guilt too. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got some guilt in this. You see, Pilate had the ability to release Jesus. So here's the picture. Even though God is in charge of this whole world with full authority and nothing happens outside of His authority in this world, that shakes us. It's hard to get our brains around and it makes us do weird things and lots of theologians write all kinds of books about it and get things all turned around. Even though God has full authority, we are still each responsible for what we do, what we say, what we think, the values we have, what we believe, the feelings we feel, we are responsible. And Jesus is telling Pilate, you're in a tough spot, Pilate. Yeah, you've got authority, but you are responsible. You're responsible for how you respond in this situation. Folks, we live in a world, this is so stark to me, and it's not just the world around us, but we struggle with it even as people because we're a part of this system and these lies. But it's hard for us as people today to take responsibilities for ourselves. It really has gotten difficult for that. We want to blame everything else under the sun. We want to blame the situation. We want to blame the traffic, the bad weekend that we had while we go into work and have a bad mood. We want to blame our past. We, we blame all kinds of things. It's, we live in a world where it's cool to be the victim. It's politically cool. It's, you know, well, I've got this and I've had that. And we are responsible. We are accountable to God that even though He's in charge and this world's messed up, that we as people are responsible. We're, we're not just responsible for what we do. We're responsible for what we think, what we say. We're even ultimately, long-term, responsible for our feelings. Now, our feelings are hard to get a handle on. They rise up in us when we don't expect it, and they're hard to corral. They're kind of like a wild horse or dog that runs out, and you can't get under control. But ultimately, we're responsible for how we handle those things and deal with those things. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago, I remember the conversation, the, the situation so vividly, not the full conversation, but I was talking, I was near, just outside my office, talking with some pastors and some good friends, and somebody used the word trigger. And the word trigger in that moment triggered me, literally. It created an immediate anxiety, heart jumped into my throat, my stomach, and all of a sudden, all kinds of stuff just overwhelmed me, and I was shocked by that. The backstory to it was what they had known this, but a few weeks prior, I was sitting on the couch at home, got a phone call from my mom, and my mom said, son, your dad is okay, but he's been shot. And I thought, what did you just say? He's been shot. And she proceeded to tell me the story of a man that had come up to him at close range, and he pulled out his 9mm Glock, and he shot him, and it hit right into his upper thigh and his groin area, 
late, come to find out, I mean, literally, proverbially, missed the our femoral artery by like an inch. Somebody there put a tourniquet, put a belt on them, and and I remember going through that season, precipitated events that were not my fault and not my doing, if you will, but looking online at the news reporter, you know, and as you've all seen it, you know, the reporter right here, a pool of blood, and I remember the the shock and the offensiveness and the viol sense of violation that I felt. Like, that's my dad's blood. That's sacred. How dare you just be talking about that all in the world and selling all of that and just the offense of it. And I, I got on the plane. I don't know if it was the next day or the, the following mornings. That call happened at night. I went down to be with my mom. My dad's okay, if you're the end of the story. But let me tell you why that triggered me so much. And I went down there to, to be with my mom and and found out along the way that apparently, and this happened in Florida, um, that when somebody is shot below the waist, that it's an assault. It's not attempted murder. And so the man was out like less than 24 hours. And we had heard, because he was known to the family, that he was kind of threatening to finish things. And I'm like, what in the world? And it was a holiday weekend, and we were trying to petition, to get through to the judge and the courts and petition the judge to say, hey, we would you know, like to get that rescinded, and it's crazy. It's like, okay, please hold, and you're just wait line. I'm like, this is, this is nuts. You know, this is insane. And hearing my mom, how she battled all of that, and just, you know, middle of the night not sleeping well, and the police officers coming to check on her, but mid at night, lights are off, and she happened to be up in the kitchen, and she heard commotion outside, didn't know they were police, heard voices, and got scared, and reached over and turned the kitchen light off. And then they stopped. You know, finally they, you know, rang the doorbell, announced themselves, and they said, you startled us when we turned the light off. And she's like, I startled you. You, you scared me. You know, like what in the world? And I got to tell you, hearing all of that, I, I slept with a loaded firearm for the next few nights. Politically correct or not, you take care of your family. And then being in the hospital, and this kind of was a surreal thing for me. When my dad was there, he had a satchel with him, kind of a briefcase leather thing, and he wanted something out of it. And I, I don't remember what, exactly what it was, but he had this little, little round vial that he had like vitamin supplements or something in it. And I reached in there and I saw that, and the, the case was cracked, it was broken. I thought that was weird, and I popped it open, and inside the case was the spent round. It had gone through his leg, and the police never found it, and it had dead-ended into the satchel behind him. Just, and just sitting there holding that, that bullet, just surreal, you know, just, wow. Understandable, a few weeks later, that I had worked through all of it, been home and all of it, and then somebody used that word, just all of that emotion just funneled into that. We have times in our lives where we are reacting and responding to difficult things in our life, and we aren't in control of our emotions in those. But over time, we have a responsibility to how we respond and how we act and how we have self-control. So I'm not dismissing and saying that every little thing in your emotion you should get under control. But I do as a church want us to recognize that God works in our life. And our, even our emotions ultimately play out. They're a good thing. Like, it should cause me to rise up and to feel a threat. It should cause you to feel a threat when things are dangerous. 
And the body recognizes those. What I had gone through was a, not a physical trauma, but a soul trauma, if you will, thinking about all of that and navigating those things. And we have to relate and respond to those and process those. And, and as my friends, I didn't say anything to them. They didn't know what was going on. But on the side of it, I had to say, yep, I am shocked that that's hitting me. I didn't realize that I was that, you know, on the inside damaged and relating to it. But I said, God, you're in control. You're king. I know where everything is. I process it, and you just kind of, you know, bring it down. We're responsible for the things that we do, even ultimately for the, how we respond to the feelings and things that we are. We live in a world where people feel like they have to be true to their feelings and they can't help themselves. And we're responsible for even in those crazy situations when our feelings run and do things, we're responsible for how we live. Jesus is king, but we're accountable to how we live. Last thing I want you to notice is not only is Jesus king and his authority, that he's in charge, even though he was on trial and he was one in handcuffs, if you will, being led and being crucified, that he is still in charge, that he's king ultimately in his crucifixion. Pilate still tried to release him. He, didn't want, he wanted to be absolved of all guilt, but he was still guilty for his own actions. And he turns to the crowd, he brings Jesus out, and he turns to the crowd in verse 15, or verse 14, he says to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. How blasphemous would that have been to them? So he delivered him over to them, to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out and bearing his own cross to the place called the, the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jesus died as a king as no other king died. Every other king wants to put the subjects out there to die so they can keep their kingdom in power and for the people. But Jesus did the opposite. He willingly, even though he was innocent, sacrificed himself for his followers. And the pictures that you've seen and the videos and the messages that you've talked about, just a, a gruesome death that he endured before he was nailed to that cross, all the mocking that he experienced and the spitting and the crown of thorns on his head and really the most brutal part was the lashing that he received. It was commonplace for Roman soldiers to, to take a, a whip that had multiple pieces of leather at the end and some like, like rocks or metal balls and ceramic balls that would bruise the back of the individual and it would fillet their back open, literally bearing their their, the back of their ribcage open and, and revealing muscle and revealing internal organs and the bleeding that would just begin to profusely come from them. And Jesus experienced all of that physically. Now, I got to tell you, he was sinless. And if that had been me, even if I was sinless, that would have been the moment that I would have sinned. <laughs> I'll be honest. 
I'd have been angry and said, these people are not worth it. Just what in the world? But the Bible tells us he sat there, didn't even open his mouth in the middle of all of that. I, I can't comprehend that. But he began to experience medically a, a, a type of shock where the volume of blood in his body became so low that his heartbeat began to race to try to make up for the lack of, of that blood loss. And that condition leads to people who will pass out, they'll get dizzy and pass out. We see Jesus stumbling you know, on the way to, to can't even carry his own cross like the others could. And ultimately it leads to people being very thirsty because the body is trying to replenish the, 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 the fluid that it's lost, that there was so much bleeding. And, and as we see in chapter 19 that Jesus says, I'm thirsty, I thirst. It's not just a, one of the statements on the cross, but it shows us the gravity of the crucifixion that Jesus died long before uh, he should have because of just what he had, had gone through. He suffered for us as a king like no other king has ever or would ever suffer for his subjects. And yet he did that for you and for me because he loved us. And he was laid in that new tomb, the tomb that had never been used before, really the first piece of dignity that he had had in hours, laid in, in the tomb and cared for. This morning, I want us to recognize as we think about the cross in those last hours of Jesus, I want us to see a king in his glory. Not a victim. Yes, he was abused, and yes, all that he went through. But he did it willingly because he loves you and me deeply. And it should cause us to have a picture of our own sin. You see, if Jesus was willing to do that for you and for me, then that means... He really deserves our complete surrender of our life to Him. To move past whatever religious traditions we have, to say, Jesus, You are worth everything I've got. Some of you need to take that just simple step of faith and surrendering your life to Jesus. Admitting your guilt and trusting His innocence and the payment that He paid to cover your guilt. We struggle. We don't want to be guilty. But when you and I try to act like we're innocent and we haven't done that much wrong, or that somehow our religion takes care of us, what we're really doing is cheapening what Jesus really endured. We really are making the cross and what He experienced to not be necessary. If you and I really aren't guilty then why did he have to die? Why did he have to go through all of that? We get a picture of the cross. We get, a, we get a picture of God's love for us, a picture of God's holiness. We get a picture of God's wrath towards sin. And we get a picture of the awfulness of our own life. And God wants that to motivate us to trust Jesus, to cause a love in our heart, to cause a fear in our soul of, of us experiencing the judgment of God and to run to Jesus and to trust the judgment that was put upon him. You see, Peter, I didn't read the story, but in the middle of this, he denied Jesus. And you've been in church a while, you know that story well. And God doesn't want us to do that. Instead of denying our relationship with Jesus, he wants us to turn and put our full, committed, surrendered trust in him as Savior and Lord of our life.
And he wants us to identify with him. The next step in that, biblically, is, is, is baptism. Baptism's a strange thing. I've had many conversations over the years with many people, and depending on what church you grew up in, it's really weird or it's normal or the way we do it's different and all of that. But it's kind of the point. <laughs> the point is, 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 is making a statement that says, if Jesus was willing to do all of that for me, then the least I could do is take one little moment in time to say, I identify with him that I'm one of his. That's what baptism really is. It's just saying, I identify with Jesus. He's my Savior and my Lord. And I talk with people at times, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do it up in front of people. I feel self-conscious. I'm like, I get it. Some people are introverts, and they're scared to death to walk in front of a crowd, and I, I, I completely understand all of that. But baptism really is not about the person being baptized. It's about the king who is crucified for the person who's being baptized. And it's really about Jesus. And it's just us sticking up our hand and saying, I want to be identified with him. So some of you who are playing through that, thinking through that, need to seriously consider that identity. I don't understand why God had it done that way. There's lots of other things. Like he could have created a form, just fill out a form. You know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm in, you know. It's, but God's God, and that's what he told us to do. Some of you this morning need to have a security that's in Jesus. You need to be refreshed that God's got you, and he keeps you. Some of you need to have that security for your kids or family or others that God's got them. Beyond your control, beyond your ability, he's got them. Trust Him in that. Rejoice in that. Some of you need to reflect it closely in the love that God has for you, that even though you've messed up and you don't deserve anything, that God still loved you. We talk about, you know, trying to forgive ourselves. And there's a piece of that that we need to come to terms with it. But really what we need to do as followers of Jesus, we just need to trust that God's forgiven us and let that be enough and say, he's the final arbiter of my life. He's the final judge, not even me. And I'm just going to trust what he says. What he says is I'm good, that I'm forgiven, and God's grace is over all of my sin and all of the messes that I have in my, my life. Some of you need to take responsibility in an area of your life. Some of us just, we all wrestle with that. We will, I think, to the day we die as part of that human sinful nature. But not shirking it and putting it on others, but taking responsibility, even when we go through difficult circumstances, trusting that Jesus is king, that everything's okay, and we look to him, and we process that. So I don't know what God has kind of talked to you about this morning in your own way. Maybe it's even something a little bit different than I've talked through. But make a commitment in your heart, whether it's to be encouraged to take, or to take that step of faith or to make that commitment in a baptism or whatever those things are, but make that commitment to King Jesus. He's done all the heavy lifting and he wants us to respond to him today. So as our worship team comes up, I'm gonna, we're going to sing one more song, but I'm going to pray. Whatever kind of is knocking around the, 
soul of your heart or in your mind, pay attention to those things. That very well could be God speaking to you. And follow up on that. If it's a conversation you need to have with somebody, have it. If it's with one of us as pastors, do that. If it's somebody else in the church, do that. But respond to what God has been kind of revealing to yourself as we've looked at this this morning. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we are accept the accountability and responsibility of our actions, of our beliefs, and even all the way down to our feelings that really are meant for good and help us. But even so, we need to be responsible in how we express them and how we respond to them. They're there as a safety net to give us a window to our soul. So, Father, I know that, that we all struggle with those in different ways and different times. Help us to navigate those things in our life, help the gospel and who Jesus is to, to give us security and to walk through all of those challenges. Lord, we are so grateful for your love and grace in our life that even when we face difficult things, that we have the confidence knowing that Jesus loses not one single soul, that we are never at risk and that we are always found when we're found with him. Lord, thank you for that incredible confidence. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.